Welcome to Electrician New. This is Drake. I am Dustin. We are going to talk about electron theory and all that stuff. Oh Jesus! Without any visuals. Without any visuals. Without any. I didn't. I didn't warn him about this. All right, so my go. my goal is he's going to just clam up and not know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> So not electrical theory, just specifically electron theory. Yeah, like this is atomic. Greasy. Yeah, yeah, quantum stuff. All right, all right. Question number. So, <laughs> question number one. No, this is actually the stuff that I love reading about. Yeah. It's like honestly, just the electron itself and the photon are the two things that I think I've nerded out the most about throughout my career and understood the least and had to try to traverse getting through to like what quantum mechanics is and it's driven my interest into quantum mechanics. Yeah. You and, say you knew it the least, but the more you learn about it, you still know it the least. Yeah, really. Yeah. And I mean, I read books by particle physicists and what they're doing in the large Hadron collider and stuff like that. So this stuff interests me highly. So I'll give you uh, at least the, what I know. Yeah. I want your version of this. We are not, electrophysicists you know we're not super scientists we're electro wizards yes uh okay well so let's start out um when i i just recently did a course on this um because i have written a textbook about uh electrical theory elect electrical everything really it's safety it's theory um there's a workbook i'm coming out with that like deals with calculations and codes and stuff like that but the thickest part of it is I realized that I can't just present information in the way that textbooks have traditionally done it for a long time because most textbooks still talk about the old Bohr model of the atom. The solar system. Yeah, where we think of like there's a nucleus and these electrons just orbit and there's these just little balls. And it's like, okay, literally none of any of the textbooks any of y'all have, um, not crapping on any of them because they've built our modern understanding but our modern understanding is wrong. Uh, atoms don't work the way that we thought atoms worked. So to kind of like slowly break into this, uh, there's electrons and protons and neutrons inside of an atom, right? Inside of an atom, we have a nucleus and that's the center. That's where the positive charged protons and the neutral, uh, meaning there is no charge, neutrons exist and they're held together. There's a couple of forces. We have the weak nuclear force, the strong nuclear force, and it's the things that are kind of holding atoms together. There's the electromagnetic force, which is anything that is a charged particle can interact with the electro, uh, the electromagnetic force. Anything that doesn't have a charge like a neutron doesn't interact with this force. Um, and then we have the gravitational force, which we still don't even really understand what gravity is. Um, they think there's this proto this this particle possibly called a gravitron that might be the center of where gravity comes from and everything's kind of um, drawn together through mass by the gravitron but it's never been observed so it's kind of like the Higgs boson particle like they didn't know it existed they theorized it because mathematically it made sense that there would be this particle and then when you do like calculations and tests it definitely shows up but only through calculations yeah it's like this should yeah. be here and it, then they found it yeah. you know. So um, anyways, this episode of the Electrician U podcast is sponsored by the NDR Lighting Triton Outdoor Security Light. At 6,000 lumens, it's the brightest twin head fixture on the market. Find out more at ndrlighting.com. In the Bohr model of the old classical model of the understanding of an atom, we thought that electrons orbited the nucleus, that they moved in a circular motion around the nucleus. But they realized through quantum mechanics that you can't 
have a particle that's orbiting an atom that's changing directions constantly without there being energy that's being expended. And electrons aren't losing energy because if they were losing energy, we would see some kind of energy radiating as a loss. And they would collapse. Yeah, they would. They as they're orbiting, they would start to spiral inward towards the new the the nucleus and crash into the nucleus. So we understood. Okay, it's not just these particle things that are orbiting. Um, they have to be moving in these very specific kind of ways for them to maintain the energy that they have. And so when we start to realize that through the dual slit experiment, um, there's this experiment that basically shows that if you were to shoot these particles through two slits of paper, um, if they are being observed or if they're being interacted with in any way, they experience two different uh, realities. So you'll either get two lines of where these particles are hitting on the other side of these slits, kind of like if you were to shoot a whole bunch of paintballs through two slits in a wall in front of you, you would expect two lines of where all the paint's going to hit. But it's almost like a stencil. Yeah, yeah, essentially. But then we started to see that based off if you were observing or not observing, it changed from a wave diffraction pattern on the back to a dual slit, uh, you know, where the paintballs would hit. And I'm not saying paintballs would do this or ba baseballs would do it. It's these electromagnetic particles. So photons will do this and electrons will do this. So there's the, the understanding that electrons at some point act like waves, but they also act like particles. So it's the particle wave duality of these particles that we experience. And so we understand now that it's like, well, we can't observe an electron at any given point. Like we can't just stop one and see it. And the, there's a, a thing called the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, which states we can't both know the position and the momentum of something. So like a hummingbird, if you're going to take a picture of a hummingbird, well, you know what it's doing at that given time, but you're not going to see its wings flapping anymore. But if you also observe something moving, you can't also know what it's doing at any static one given point in time. So electrons fall into that category. We can't know where an electron is at any given point, but we can kind of mathematically model where we know they're not going to be and so the whole idea of quantum understanding of electrons involves these things called orbitals and orbitals if you guys google this and start looking up what an orbital is it's these bizarre shaped regions around the nucleus of an atom of places where electrons could be at any given time it's not to say that that's where they always are it's just that based off of the energy of specific atoms like every atom has a certain amount of electrons some have way more so they're going to have way more orbitals way more areas where electrons could possibly be so we've figured out by um by modeling this mathematically uh schrodinger's equations are where we got this information from but he figured out equations based off of the idea of electrons actually being a standing wave, not a particle. So it, a particle can still produce motion and still exhibit a standing wave. But if you understand that electrons are not actually orbiting and moving around, but they're standing still. And because they're a wave, their wave moves back and forth and kind of expands and uh, contracts. We understand that electrons can move from a base energy state up to another energy state. So anytime you take a photon, a photon is just a particle of elect electromagnetic energy. If you were to shoot a proton and hit an atom, it's going to take the electrons on the outermost layer and those electrons are going to absorb all that energy and they're going to bump up an energy level. So now 
uh, electrons we know inside of an atom, there's definite energy levels that they can exist within. They can't exist between them. They are fixed at these certain energy levels. So at the first energy level, you might have like two electrons and the next energy level, you might have like four more electrons, but we can get them to bump up from the first to the second if we add more energy to this atom by throwing a photon in there. So really quick, let's just talk about what photons are, right? So we understand photons to be these particles too, but they also exhibit wave-like behavior. It's an electromagnetic particle-like packet of energy. So it's uh, kind of like a particle, kind of like a wave. It's really both. That's the whole particle wave duality thing with electromagnetic particles. Um, but it, it, it can be discussed as a particle because it does particle-like things, but it also can be discussed as a wave because it's wave-like things. But essentially it's a packet of energy that has electromagnetic energy and that's why it can interact with atoms. But it's a vibrating thing and why we see some photons as white versus red is because when a photon hits an atom, depending on what amount of energy it comes back and bounces out of that atom, it has a different vibration. So something that's a really slow vibration as it bounces off of an object, it's going to be seen as red. But as it gets faster, it might be yellow, it might be green, it might be blue, purple. So it's all different vibrations, but it's just vibrating stuff. That's all photons are. And so when you have a photon that hits an atom, it can need all that energy can either be absorbed and stay in the atom or it can diffract out and bounce out of the atom. There's absorption and there's emission. So everything that we see with photons, we like all we just see is light, but what's really happening is we've got this field of particles that's acting like a wave that's just bouncing. Everything that we see is because of either it's vibrating itself. Well, not even that. We don't even see things that are vibrating. We just see the light bouncing off of things. Yeah, we see the digested see light the, almost. Yeah. It's like the electron took it in. and We see the reaction of light hitting things. Yeah. If we turn the lights off, everything's dark and we don't see anything. Now, just to compare it to the old, the old model, that first ring would be considered like the first energy level. And yeah. the second ring. And I know like we shouldn't be thinking it like the old model but for people who just see it as the old model to convert it that's that's kind of the starting point yeah so through the old Bohr model we understood that there were rings almost like saturn around an, an atom or around a nucleus and there's multiple rings depending on how many electrons an atom has and so there's not just electrons flying around at the same ring like there's, the same plane yeah. yeah it's almost like there's multiple rings where they're going to be flying around at but we just realized they're not actually orbiting and spinning in a circle. Now we understand them as a standing wave. So they can, they can be in one sort of location, but they can't be in between it. So the idea that we understood, oh, there's places they can't be. Now we can mathematically predict where they possibly could be. Yep. And because they are a standing wave and they move in these kind of certain patterns, there's a lot of places they can't be. So we can actually model a shape of where they possibly could be. And that narrows down our understanding of where, how these electrons move and where they might be because we're viewing them as standing waves rather than as just individual particles that are orbiting something. The, the idea of not being able to see an electron makes sense because the photon actually affects the electron. It moves it. So if you have a photon, which is the light, and it's literally moving the electron to a different energy level, once it's released, it's somewhere else entirely. So how could you see it? 
Right. Absolutely. You yeah. know, it's, and the crazy thing about the particle wave duality is that if you were to shoot, um, these particles, these electrons at each other, when they hit each other, it's like pool table or a, a pool balls on a, on a pool table, they actually bounce off like particles would, but they also hit each other in wave diffraction patterns and they experience or they move and they do things that waves do. So that's why we're like, okay, we can't pin these to be in little spinning balls, right. you know, but we do say that electrons have spin. So they not only do they move throughout the atom, but they spin while they're moving. And the only reason magnetism exists, the only reason we have anything that is magnetic is because we have an atom that has an unpaired um, set of electrons so we have um, if you have two electrons as an electron spins it creates a magnetic field the only things in existence that have magnetic fields are electrons and if the electrons spin in the same area if they both spin opposite directions the magnetic field of one is going to cancel out the magnetic field right, of the other it's not magnetic. so that 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 matter will not be magnetic but if we have both of them spinning in the same direction that amplifies that magnetic field and it creates a magnetic moment in a piece of material. And as you have more of these magnetic moments and they align a certain way, you have a material that is magnetic or can be magnetized. So in each energy level, isn't there a certain amount of electrons that can be? Yes. And aren't they grouped in two, but they're filled one at a time yeah. first? Well, so, within an energy level, you can have a certain amount of electrons um, within an energy level, you can only have a certain amount of orbitals as well. So right. if you're like in the first um, energy level, we can only have two electrons in that entire energy level. So the shape of the orbital, it's just a sphere because we know within this energy level, there's only going to be two electrons and they can exist kind of anywhere within this. If we go up an energy level, then we have these weird shapes that begin because now we can have more electrons in this next energy level, but we can only have a certain amount of electrons per orbital. So if we have the P layer, the, the first energy level is, is called the S uh, sub level. And so within the S sub level, uh, there could be an S1, an S2, and an S3, which are just more complex, uh, more complex shapes of where we think an electron can be. And the more complex atoms that we go and based off of what order all of these orbitals have to fill, we can have more electrons within this S sublevel um, because it's just more of a complex shape. It's not that we can have more electrons. It's just that there's a more complex shape of where they could be. So anyways, the next ring out from the nucleus is the second energy level. And so we know there's definitely electrons in this sublevel, but we know through Schrodinger's equations that these are shaped a certain way because it's a standing wave. They can only be places that they can be. They can't be the places that they can't be. So the equations set up these specific shapes. Like, you know, if I take a Cartesian plane, which is just an X and a Y axis, I can draw things. And I know if I go up two and over three and there's a point, and then I go down five and over three, there's another point I can draw a shape. So with, with calculus, calculus, once you start into getting into differential equations and you get into really advanced calculus, they're modeling three-dimensional objects, not just 2D Cartesian planes. So that's what the craziness of physics is. It's their understanding three-dimensional reality through calculus. I think I said physics a second ago. I meant calculus. So Schrodinger's, Schrodinger's equations can figure out based off of the math of where things can't be what can we plot three-dimensionally to figure out what the shape or the zone of this could be? 
And that's how we get these crazy shaped orbitals. So then when we go up to the P sublevel, we have, um, we have different shapes that these things can exist within. And each one of the orbitals can only have two electrons, but the entire energy level can have more than that. So that's where the confusion lies is like when we look at an electrical conductor, we think, oh yeah, it's just anything that has one free electron on the outside is a conductor. And it's like, no, it doesn't really work like that because electrons can be in multiple different, um, they can be in one energy level, but there might be multiple different kinds of orbitals. You might have an S orbital that overlaps a P orbital, that overlaps a D orbital and an F orbital. And these things are changing sporadically. They change quantum states constantly. So atoms actually almost like blink and fluctuate in shape and size and in quantum state. So there's not this solid thing that we understand an atom to be. It's more complex because it's all waves. And I think it, we kind of skipped this, but I should have at the beginning described what a standing wave even is. So when I'm sitting here saying electrons are exhibit the standing wave behavior, a standing wave is like if you and I are holding a string and I wave up, what's going to happen is that that thing is going to start to look like a sine wave as I move up and you move down and we, we just move back and forth. There's a vibration that happens and you can think of it like a guitar string, you know, like a, a low E string is going to vibrate really slowly. And then the next string up is going to vibrate a lot faster and the next string up is going to vibrate faster. And it's because each one of these has more energy. That's why a high E string, the, you know, the bottom string on a guitar, it's the really skinny one, but it's a really high note because it's vibrating so fast. Because, yeah, there's a lot of tension on it, which creates more energy. Yeah, and the reason that when you hit a chord, it all sounds harmonious and it kind of amplifies the sound is because mathematically every one of those strings is perfectly harm like in harmony, vibrating. Like the one that's only doing one back and forth is perfectly with the second string is perfectly making two vibrations. Yeah. I and mean, the and then there's the whole harmonic series, which we could get right. into. You yeah. Know? So it's the number, it's the amount of energy of the vibration of that string that changes how many times it's vibrating. So you can think of that as electrons in the first energy level are vibrating slower. There's not more, uh, there's not more, I guess there is more energy to them, but it's still the same amount of charge An electrons an electron. It's just that the electrons closer to the nucleus are vibrating slower and the ones that are out further away are vibrating faster. So you have this kind of like harmony of vibration that's happening. So that's what a standing wave means. And that's why the higher energy levels that you can move an electron from one energy level to the next, it's actually going to be vibrating faster when it's in that state. Are photons the only thing that will move an electron to a different energy level no anything that's electromagnetic so um a another electron can move another electron so that's what how electric current works right. is by trying to run two like charges together they're going to repel each other so if you've got an atom that has a very loose amount or like a small amount of electrons on the very outer layer you, it's easier to move those and to like cram one more electron in is going to push one out and right. into the next atom. So now we understand electrical conductivity differently too. There's this thing called band theory and band theory is we all, we're all probably familiar with the valence layer of an atom, right? It's the outer layer yep. and that's where the outer electrons are kind of at. And if traditionally with the Bohr model, we used to think like if there's one electron on that outer layer, 
then it's just going to jump into the next layer. It's really easy to move it because there's nothing else. To, there's no other electrons in there to balance the energy and absorb the energy from a new electron coming in. Right. And if we have an electron that has, or if we had an atom that has like seven or eight electrons on the outer layer, it's going to be really hard to move any of them because they're all going to take the brunt of that new energy that's coming in and they're going to balance and stay there. So that's what an insulator we thought was. With band theory, we understand a little bit more complexity in that there's conductors, insulators, and, and uh, semiconductors. And there's this, the valence layer, uh, you can think of just like this band of energy around the atom. And then there's a air gap. And then we have this thing called a conduction layer or a conductive layer. And between those layers, we have this thing called the Fermi level. And the Fermi level is kind of like this, you can think of like a dotted line between these two layers. So the valence layer is still part of the atom. The conduction layer is not. And the Fermi level is just the highest um, energy level that an uh, electron can kind of stay within its atom before getting sucked up into the conduction layer. It's kind of like it's gravitational pull. Yeah, it's like a satellite orbiting the Earth, right? It's not really in the Earth, but it's still there. And I think at a certain point, if that were to move far enough away from Earth, it wouldn't continue to orbit Earth. It would probably get attracted to some other thing. And that's kind of how electrons move from one atom to another atom. What's interesting is that it that whole thing is uh, acts differently for solids. So solid metalloids or things that are just metallic by nature, they're, the structure of something metal is a lattice formation. So if you were to zoom in really closely, how the atoms are, f- are held together in a metal is different than how liquids hold each other together. They have... Uh, covalent bonds or ionic bonds that hold certain things together but it's fluid so it still can move around and so conductivity in fluids is different than conductivity in solids so in a solid metal we actually have this um kind of like a crystal lattice network of how these things are structured and it's a very ordered consistent consistent pattern so because it's in that state the atoms are so close together that the 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 outer orbitals for um, all of these atoms actually overlap one another, and so it's really easy to get the loose electrons on the outside to just go from one atom to the other atom, and that's how conductivity works. And between the conduction band and the valence band that I was talking about, they're overlapping each other. There's no gap there. But when you have a semiconductor or an insulator, those those bands are actually really far apart. So it's, so, so it's hard for the electron to leave. Yeah. Yeah. For for an insulator, it's impossible because they're so far apart and the Fermi layer in between them is so far apart that the electrons can reach that Fermi layer, but they can't pass that yeah. level. They're just kind of stuck where they're at. And so that's the modern band theory and how we understand conductivity. But we can't look at an electron and draw out this little solar system thing and think of the orbits and be like, oh, there's one on the outside and that's how it all works. It's like, no, 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 no. There is a free kind of in this conduction band around this lattice network that makes up copper there is a conduction band that goes across all of the atoms that kind of floats on the top of all of them and that's where these electrons go and it's crazy because you can get into things like skin uh, skin effect skin effect is once you start going at high frequencies sending current through wire just vibrating back and forth but like really really fast high frequencies electrons don't traverse the inside of the copper anymore they only traverse on the outside, on the outer skin of that conductor. So skin effect becomes a really big thing once you start talking about high frequency and a high amount of current traveling. Huh. Where do we go with that? No, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's really funny because, you know, 
how many atoms are in one grain of sand? <laughs> it's like one times 10 to the 22nd power. I don't even know, man. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the last time I looked. It's a variance of like, depending on how big the, the sand is, but that's 10 with, that's one with 22 zeros. Yeah. That's how many atoms are in one grain of sand. And we're talking about miles and miles of copper. <laughs> yeah. And this is all happening. You know, when you visualize it talking, you know, you, you see the atom kind of big in your face, but then you realize this network is so incredibly complex and small. The fact that we know even this much about it is mind boggling. Yeah. It's really impressive to understand how small an atom is. If you were to look at the, the nucleus of an atom and you were able to fly up in the sky and look at a football stadium, a football stadium is the total size of the atom, but the nucleus is still just a grain of sand sitting on the field. Yeah. That's how much space there is in an atom. So to understand that electrons are just these even smaller particles, like next to a, if you took a proton and put it on a piece of paper or on a, on a table and blew it up to the size of a baseball, a piece of rice is how big an electron would be next to it. So if you understand that how far out that electron is to that, that grain of sand in the football field. That's what we're talking about. There's yeah, that there's, much empty space. There's so much empty space. Everything is empty space. It's just vibrations that are being transferred from one thing to another. Even atomic bonds are just held together without ever touching, right? We have like covalent bonds, ionic bonds. It's just fields that are keeping form to matter, but it's all really just vibration that's keeping everything together. That's why we don't fall through a chair when we're sitting on a chair. It's not because the atoms are all touching each other. It's because the fields that are around each one of these atoms that they are held together with these charged particles. So these invisible fields are really the things that are bonding everything and holding it together. And that's why things are solid. So when you start to think about the laws of thermodynamics and, and you know how energy can't be created or destroyed, it just changes from matter to energy. We have to understand that matter is not solid. Nothing is solid. Everything is just energy transferring from one thing to another. So for, for atoms to hold themselves together, it's vibration that's doing that. It's certain harmonies of vibrations that are holding things together. But the only way things can be held together is if there's an external vibration forcing that vibration to happen. And so when we understand quantum mechanics, what we're really saying is that matter is only the intersection of multiple quantum fields together, almost like these nodes of where they intersect from like gravitational fields, electromagnetism, all these things, they're at the cross sections of where all of them meet up. That's where matter is held together. But something is still vibrating those strings. Something is still transferring. So you can't have a nothingness that's ever existed for somethingness to exist. It has to be energy transferred from one thing that already always existed to another thing that's always existed. Yeah. So that's why I believe in infinity. I don't know where that means in the cosmic hoodoo of like, any other meaning beyond that, but it just means that I think in infinity is real. I think that existence has always existed and it just keeps changing and popping into new forms and back out. Yeah. And inward and outward. And yeah. So I had a whole list of questions. <laughs> yeah, how do we come back from that? But having said all of that, what level of this do you feel like is helpful for an electrician to have in their mind? None of it. None of it. No. No. 
Like you can be an electrician and you can rope houses and never have to understand what an electron is. Yeah. You don't know they need to know that like charges any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I do think that my deep seeking of all of this stuff over the years and writing and teaching and talking about things and being wrong. And then somebody under a video is like, bro, this is, that's not how this works. This is how this works. And then it teaches me. And so this has given me an ability to understand things at such complexities that now my holistic understanding of what we're dealing with makes so much more sense when there's a problem. I'm like, Oh, it's because of this and this it's because of things we can't see. It's because radio frequency interactions, you know, so I think for you to be really great at your craft, once you get to the point where you're saying I've mastered my craft, that's the point where you realize, you know, nothing. And right. that's when you need to start seeking to mm-hmm. find the things you don't know. And the more you seek, the more you realize you were wrong about a lot of things and you don't really know things, but it's what gives you the grasp of understanding the totality of it. Like I had a guy that I worked for a long time ago that I thought I knew a lot and I knew a lot of code and I had all these like bits of things out there everywhere that I was mapping out my electrical universe, my understanding of what I thought it was. And he was like, someday something's just going to click and you're going to get it. You're going to be like, Oh shit. I understand it all now. And I'm there. You know, I've been there for a while and now it's these little pockets of things that I've heard a long time ago or that I, I've uh, maybe understood in my mind as an analogy that I've understood a certain way that I will go back and revisit and I'll challenge it and I'll like break myself against it and then I'll find new understanding in it. But it's, it's those things that when somebody comes to me and asks me like, Hey, why is this not working? It's like, well, now I remember a long time ago when I was like, I don't know. It was like my third year in and you would ask me this question about humming in your amp. And you were like, is there like a thing that can separate my electrical system from the dirtiness, the power in my walls to like a clean, you know, like how do I get rid of this? And I didn't know anything about transformers, but I knew enough about theory because I was just constantly digging and chewing on stuff that I was like, there's gotta be like a transformer that you could just have 120 volts in on one side that's dirty, but it yields 120 volts. It's clean on the other side of it. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just, it would make sense for me that this is there gotta be a thing. And then we started looking up and it's like, Oh, there's a thing called an isolation transformer that takes dirty power on one side. (laughs) I was like, Oh my God. You know, like I, I was like, if this is right too, I remember saying this, I'm like, if this is right, I'm a genius. I'm like a mad (laughs) scientist, you know, but it was just like, because I dig on stuff. Now I understand possibilities for what could be a problem. And, um, and I think that that, that helps yeah. dramatically. But can you live a career and not understand what's going on or not understand like the physics of what's happening in a neutral conductor and things canceling out? And like, no, it just makes you better if yeah. you do. All of the best electricians that I know have been in industrial and commercial and residential and done service work and new construction and they've messed with solar. They've like, they've the gone through you know, forums. They've, they, yeah. they understand theory and safety. And that's the only reason that they're the best residential electrician on the planet, because all these other concepts they have available to just hone in on this one thing that they love. Yep. I've never met a phenomenal residential electrician that only knows how to put 12-2 in a box and put lights and, you know, right. they're not ever phenomenal. They don't care enough about mastery of their craft. They're not curious enough to dig and to find out more. So that behavior just adumbrates outwards to everything and yep. they just, they're never going to be that good. Thank you for listening to Dustin talk all about electron stuff. Yes. And if you happen to know anybody that's a particle physicist or you want some suggestions, or you have some suggestions of people we should talk to. Um, I, I guarantee there's like depths of this 
that we're not understanding or the things that we don't know. Um, I would love to have a podcast with a particle physicist, uh, somebody that's like at CERN or the Large Hadron Collider. It's Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh my God. Yeah. Hit us up. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Would Neil deGrasse Tyson, like he's astrophysicist, physics, but he, has, yeah, he knows a lot about Let's get Bill Nye the science guy in here. I don't even know that he would know that. I know, but I just, want, like I just want him in here. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It'd be cool. Yeah, we need John Butterworth in here. So I have a book called The Most Wanted Particle by John Butterworth. He actually works at the Large Hadron Collider. It was part of the whole um, Higgs boson thing that they were trying to find. And it's really interesting. The, the book's interesting if you're a nerdy electrician, you just want to read about particle physics. But he explains what like taus and muons and gluons and all these like fundamental particles and how things work but he also kind of talks about the large hadron collider and all the problems that they had with it and things like breaking and Interesting. Like, yeah it's a pretty good book but it's super science nerdy so if you know him or know anyone who knows him <laughs> yeah please tell us up this electrician you podcast <laughs> is something you should do yeah don't listen to the podcast because we probably said it all wrong <laughs> he's probably <laughs> creating his teeth but that's why i want to talk to him man. yeah yeah i want that depth of understanding anyways love you crazy people we'll see you in the next one Goodbye.